Hi, welcome to BCI Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White, joined today by Dr. Bob Larson, Dr. Dustin Pendle, Dr. Brian Lubers, Dr. Philip Lancaster, and Shane Work is joining us from our purebred unit here at KSU. Good morning, guys. Hey, good morning. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Brad. Happy to have you guys with us and happy to have you with us listening as well. And as we know, and we're going to, this whole show is about buying bulls and we've got an expert panel put together that we're going to have some questions that are common questions that we hear, as well as a listener question about some of those criteria. And we'll dive in a little bit to the economics of the industry as a whole and really talk about what are some of the things that matter to you and your ranch as you look at bulls and you think about where prices are going to be in the future? Before we dive into those, we've got some good events coming up here very soon at K-State. wanted to talk about a couple of those. One is K-State Cattlemen's Day is scheduled for March 4th and several good speakers coming in talking about the weather, some reproductive research updates, as well as some of our faculty who will be talking about different cattle management and growth issues. In conjunction with that, and every year there's a legacy sale here through the K-State Purebred Unit, which is a little bit unique in that there are multiple breeds represented. And we're happy to be joined by Shane Work, who's our Purebred Beef Unit Manager. You, I really appreciate you making time for us this morning because we are steamrolling forward into that sale and you have been busy lately getting everything ready. Is that right, Shane? Yeah, we're in full mode uh, uh, going ahead to get ready for this sale. And uh, But yeah, I, think, I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, and it is. this is the 45th annual bull and female sale. And what we learned just before the podcast is our own Dr. Bob was there for the very first one. I was. I was in high school and I bought a cow at the first. You don't have case. to couch it and say, yeah, yeah. I was in I, elementary school. I was, I was a second grader. I was a second. No, I was in high school. <laughs> and and that was really a neat thing because I, I think I bought, I can't remember if this is the very, I don't think it's the very first cow, but it was that first year that I was buying some cows. And uh, so it's kind of a nervous thing for a high school kid to, you know, get in there and, and do my own bidding and, and stuff. But my, you know, my folks, it's kind of one of those things. They had a medium-sized leash on me so let me go out with a little bit of slack and i'm sure they could have pulled it back if i had gotten too far out of line oh that's fun because i think all of us and all of us probably remember that feeling of sitting in an auction and not wanting to accidentally bid (laughs) right (laughs) where you say yeah i don't want to accidentally bid or buy something so good for good for you so this sale this sale's been around a long time and i know one of the things that is is great is thinking about the different breeds. However, there are also a lot of different characteristics within the breed. So thinking in general, and Shane, I want to kind of get your opinion. If I'm a a ranch that's going in and I need to buy a bull, what should my pre-sale strategy be? I get the catalog. I'm going to look through the catalog online or on paper. How do I figure out which bull is going to be best? Yeah, so I think I think the most important thing to do, and what I try and when I deal with customers is try and find out what your objectives and goals are for your operation, and maybe even beyond that, what what things you feel like you need to improve. So some self evaluation of, of your herd, what traits you want to improve on, uh, what you feel like you do good. Um, so once you've got that figured out. Um, I think that's a good place to start, and that can help you select what type of bulls you need and, that, and emphasize those traits, whether that's which specific breed, or like we have Angus Simital Herefords, or, or whether that's within a specific breed that you utilize or prefer. Yeah, absolutely. I, knowing 
I think your operation and where those where those traits get, and and maybe I'll follow that up and and Philip, as you think about some of the operations that you've worked on and you've worked with, what are some of the things that come to the top of the mind? Because if you say just know your operation, there's a lot there. What are some of the things that come to the top of your mind when you think about how am I going to sort a bull? Well, I think one of the first things you got to pay attention to is how you're going to market the kids. You know, are you selling at weaning? Are you backgrounding? Are you retaining ownership all the way through the feed yard? And so that depends or that dictates a lot about what traits you need to pay attention to um, when you're looking at those bulls. And and like Shane said, knowing where you're at, what traits have I already got at a, a decent level? And I can just look for bulls that have average EPDs for those traits. And which traits do I think really need to be improvement and look for bulls that have above average EPDs for those traits so that I can not lose ground in some things, but gain ground in other things. So Shane, I got just a random question. I've been to a few bull sales before, you know, as somebody who's observed them. One thing I've often asked myself, or I've wondered, I guess, how do you determine the sale order of those bulls? You know, which one do you put first? When do you, you know, second, et cetera? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, obviously, you know, we try and evaluate quality, both from a phenotype and a genetic uh, EPD background. You know, what we like to do is is try and, uh, and so we sell them in catalog order here at K-State. And so, so we're sort of putting a sale order and a catalog together at the same time, but we like to try and sell uh, sire groups together, uh, start there. Um, and then of course, uh, you know, if we're going to make a lot one, we obviously are going to feel like he's, you know, one of our best bulls, um, and a bull that's going to have some demand to kind of get things started good. But yeah, so, so a lot of factors go into it, but we like to start with, obviously we, we sell them by specific breeds and then we, we like to break it down into the sire groups and then we kind of, cause everybody's looking, you know, different sire groups are going to do different things well. And so some guys, like we just discussed, you know, need different things. And so there'll be a little bit of an ebb and flow to it is kind of what you're, what you're hoping for, you know, in terms of price and, and, and action, you know, obviously the, just the things you typically sort on uh, and what we just talked about, you know, EPDs and phenotype and performance and all the above factor into it. But we like to do them obviously by breeds and then go to sire groups and then kind of work a, a, an order within that specific group from there. Shane, I have kind of a, I guess, another semi-random question, but back to the, you know, how do you rank bulls and fit for your operation? What do you advise people on like disposition? I work with a lot of people that are smaller and, and maybe the producer's a little bit older, maybe the facilities aren't great. So what do you, what do you tell people in those kinds of situations? Yeah. Yeah. Disposition is a, is, is a huge trade and, and one that we've in historically probably hasn't had a lot of emphasis in, you know, maybe the cattle business in general, but in the purebred part of it, it's becoming much more important as the, you know, as the demographic ages, like you said, and of course, you know, everybody's got different facilities. And so, you know, we try to sort on that pretty hard initially, obviously, you know, if we feel like one's a little speedier and more nervous, we, we, we typically don't sell a bull like that. But, you know, I, I think just like we talked about on other stuff, you need to evaluate your facilities and your labor and all those factors, you know, there is some bigger ranches and, and, and bigger country that can handle a bull that is a little more nervous because they're maybe out 
anymore and, and they don't have to be confined. But if you're a person that's, you know, limited labor, maybe a little more advanced in age, yeah, this position's huge. And I think that's something that we've been much more cognizant of and, and selected a lot harder for in the last, you know, say 10 to 20 years. So I think we made a lot of improvement there, but it, it's still a, it's a big factor. In any factor in, in disposition, they're still a bull. They're huge. They don't even know how strong they are. If you've watched a bull lean on a fence and knock it over and he's like, oh, whoops. I mean, they don't have to have, but I think disposition, I, I agree with you guys, is really important. And I'm glad, Brian, you were asking about, I thought you were asking about the people at first. And, but I think disposition is important and people too. You got to be around the right people because one can stir up the whole pot. But I want to I try something different here, and I want to ask, since we've got Shane with us, and he's our bull expert, I'm going to put you guys on the spot, and I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and you get to go head-to-head with the bull expert, Shane. So, Brian, the first one's coming to you. How do you transition or acclimate a new bull to your operation? What's your recommendation? Okay, well, I'm going to couch my response, right? I'm a veterinarian, so I think about health stuff. So I'm, a, I'm thinking about biosecurity, right? We talk about biosecurity a lot. So if I'm bringing a new animal into my herd, um, I want to make sure I'm not, I'm not bringing disease along with that animal. So I'm going to focus on biosecurity, which I also think is a good time to acclimate to feed and water in that herd. So I'll, I'll stop there. Yeah, so, um, you know, if, if it's possible, everybody has different situations. And, you know, if you're not going to be turning a, a, a new bull or a younger bull out, if it's not going to be a real long time period and you have an, a separate pen, you know, that's probably your best strategy. Um, but I think they can be transitioned, especially if it's a young bull going in with older bulls. You can, for example, you know, feed those bulls and then turn them in there and kind of have them distracted and let them get kind of, you know, size each other up. And, and typically if it's a young bull in with a handful of older bulls, it's going to kind of end quickly. But uh, I think if it's possible to have them just separate and, and in their own spot is the best. Absolutely. So keep them, keep them separate from a health standpoint, also from a social standpoint, and then transition in. Okay, next, next question, Bob, I'm going to point this one at you. What should I look for in a bull that's going to breed heifers versus a bull that's going to breed cows? What, what are your considerations if I'm picking those? What's different about those two bulls? Well, the main thing, and again, I'm kind of like Dr. Lubers. I'm thinking as a veterinarian, uh, I'm worried about calving difficulty. And calving difficulty is much more more of a problem in heifers than cows. And so that calving easy PD or birth weight is going to be really important to me for bulls that I'm going to breed to heifers. Quite a bit less important for bulls that I'm going to use on cows. The other side of it is is kind of, I think, what others have said too, is know what, what you need. If I'm going to keep replacement heifers out of this bull, I'm really going to look at some of those female traits. Again, I'm kind of a repro guy. So I'm thinking of, you know, the heifer stability or heifer breed up and longevity and stability. Those are things that are really important to me if I'm going to retain replacement heifers out of these bulls. If I'm not, if I'm getting my replacement heifers outside the herd, well, then those traits aren't very important. And I charge on with some of my growth traits and things like that. So, but between heifer bulls and cow bulls, I'm really, it's probably the biggest difference is focusing on calving ease for bulls breeding heifers and much less so for bulls breeding cows. Yeah, I would echo a lot of what, what Dr. Larson just said. And I think maybe a specific thing that uh, to your question about cows versus bulls, you know, I, th- I think we can, 
it's very important in heifers, but I think we can overemphasize it in our cow in a bull that's going directly on cows. Uh, as far as birth weight, CED, uh, Cavanese Direct, and birth weight EPDs. Um, you know, I think there's two ways that you're kind of leaving money on the table if you're if you're buying quote unquote heifer bulls for your cows. Obviously, there's a potential for less performance and growth in your calves, and, and then also the fact that you know the heifer bulls are the highest priced bulls typically with the most demand. And so, you know, if you're willing to to buy a bull with a higher birth weight, say he's above breed average even, I think as much genetic improvement as we've made in the, in the, over the last 20 to 30, 40 years in that, in that trade, I, I don't think you're going to have much problem in it. You're going to be able to potentially buy a bull that's a little more affordable yet is going to add you some more pounds at weaning if that's where, you know, or any stage of the chain. Um, and so I think that's, uh, that's something that, that probably can get overemphasized on cow bulls. And I'd kind of encourage producers to, to keep that in mind. And, and a lot of what Dr. Larson said on, on type, as far as, you know, whether you're, you know, wanting to have a more terminal bull or more maternal bull to keep daughters out of, uh, uh, and that can be by some of the EPDs he mentioned, but, you know, also, you know, I think, especially in, in a bull that you're selecting replacements, I think you can, you need to evaluate some things physically uh, that can factor into that, whether that's structure or, you know, a bullet, you know, how much body depth they have as far as moderate size and being able to, to make low maintenance females and that, and those type of things too. So yeah, agree, you know, with uh, quite a bit with uh, what Dr. Larson said, just add on those other considerations. Don't, don't agree with him too much, Shane. He'll start to think that he's right all the time. So it, we, we try to disagree with him once in a while, just for that reason. Yeah. Yeah, so, I know. <laughs> but that but it's a good lead in because you talk about the price differential between heifer bulls and cow bulls. Dustin, how do I figure out how much I can pay for a bull? Well, that's a good question, Brad. I guess first thing that jumps out the top of my mind is a, a couple things. Number one, what is that cost the total cost, right? It's not just the purchase price, but you've got your feed cost, you know, your salvage value. But then you also want to think about the revenue side. You know, what is that expected revenue? for you know those expected calves that you're going to be weaning and, and which is a function of price and the weaning weight so those are i guess the two things that i think about when thinking about how much can i pay for a bolt the final comment i'm going to make is i would also go out and use a you know sharpen your pencil and actually work through the math go to agmanager.info there are decision tools that producers can use that can help in in making these decisions yeah, again, good good info there. I mean, I guess a simplistic way to look at it, and it's kind of an old-timey rule of thumb, is, you know, five five of your steer calves is, you know, equals up to a pretty good value, you know, of a bull. Uh, that's kind of been a historical way of looking at it, so whatever. You know, if you feel like you can sell your calves for $1,000, you know, but, you know, maybe a bull's worth about 5000 If it's $1,200, maybe it's, you know, 6000 or whatever. If it's a little less, you know. That, that's kind of a simplistic way of looking at it. That's been a pretty, you know, a pretty decent barometer for, for a purchase price on a bull historically. And and both of you guys said the same thing is that it factors into how I'm selling those calves and what I'm selling them for. So the market impacts the price of those bulls, which ties us right into and Dustin, we've seen some we've seen some numbers out of there. I'm gonna shift gears from bulls a little bit and just talk about cows in general that the cattle inventory, the cow inventory specifically, due to a variety of factors, including some of the drought effect, 
has been shrinking. What are the impacts that we would expect to see on the cow-calf side? So yeah, the USDA came out with a cattle inventory uh, report not too long ago. Well, I guess it was a January one, but they released those numbers. I think cattle herd is shrinking, which I don't think that was a surprise to anybody. I believe it was what, two, two and a half percent decline. And so you got your cattle herd shrinking. So supply is shrinking, but on the other side of the equation, right, we have pretty strong demand, both domestically and uh, internationally. And so you combine those two factors, I think what we'll probably see is uh, higher prices uh, in in the near future. You know, I think uh, Daryl Peel at Oklahoma State, you know, a week or two ago said something about he was predicting that prices might go anywhere from 8 to 12% higher this year on average. The only other thing I want to add is, you know, there's this drought. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, and that's another wild card, I think, that can also it's going to have an impact on prices as well, depending on the severity, how wide spread that the route is, could further shrink the herd and, you know, possibly driving up prices even higher in the future. So that kind of looks at it from a national perspective on the, on the calf prices. But what about, Shane, if we think about, I'm going to buy a bull this spring, have you seen any impact yet? Have you heard our bull prices up? down relative to last year? Are they steady? What, what's kind of the word that you've heard? Yeah, it's, it's a little early yet, but I think uh, in the season, but I, I think the feeling is they're steady to hire uh, at this point. And, uh, you know, I think some of that, what we just, what he just described was, you know, the potential for higher calf prices is playing into that. Um, so you never know till the season's finished, but I think the, the, the thought is, is that things are, are steady to hire a little bit over last year. Excellent. One thing I just want to point out real quick, Brad, you know, back in 2012, we had that pretty widespread drought and I was at Colorado State University at the time. And of course they have their, uh, their uh, bull sales in 2013 in their March of 2013 bull sale. We saw actually bull prices drop quite a bit as a result of that drought. So again, I don't know how that plays into maybe, maybe it's too early this year, but we definitely, you, depending on what the drought situation could look like, there could be an impact next year at the the bull sale here at K-State. Excellent. So we'll want to keep a, keep an eye on that. I'd say keep an eye on the, on the bull sales. There's lots of, and this is a good time of year. One thing that we talked about is a lot of that pre-planning and what criteria to use to how do I, how do I come up with my strategy? We actually had a question from a listener and, and, and his question was on a specific test. Uh, and there's a fer- fertility associated antigen or FAA, I'm pretty sure that abbreviation hasn't been used anywhere else, just just there. It's not for the Federal Aviation Association. This is different. But there's a test that's available. Bob, what is that test looking for? And should I be using it when I pick my bull? Well, let's start with just the importance that fertility does play. You know, uh, a lot of the traits we've talked about so far are, you know, EPDs or performance. So those are, you know, obviously critically important traits. But if a bull isn't fertile, he really doesn't do as much good. And 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 we didn't even address, sorry for interrupting you, but we didn't even address that because it's a given assumption that they've got to pass a breeding sound and And that's our best tool for right now. Um, a, a breeding soundness exam includes basically a really good thorough physical examination, making sure that the feet and legs and, and testicles and penis and 
and every part of the bull is in good physical shape. And then a semen evaluation that we do under a microscope to look at the, the sperm cells under a microscope to make sure that they're healthy and well-made. And that's our best test. It's not perfect. And just like any test, you know, it can have some, some false negatives and, and you could have a bull that's less fertile than I want that slips through, but it's a pretty good test. And so because it's not a perfect test, there's, there's been interest. Are there things we can do in addition to the standard breeding soundness exam to kind of look at fertility more closely. And, and so several of these products have become available. So far, the way I look at it is none of them have really shown to be really a great advantage over a breeding soundness exam. And this is another one. I'm familiar with this product and, or this test. And, and uh, one of the problems with it is it seems to be highly associated with age. So older bulls tend to score better on this exam than younger bulls, which kind of goes along with older bulls tend to be a little more fertile than younger bulls. And so I think I'm going to stick with the good old fashioned breeding soundness exam, but I'm certainly in tune to any new technologies that might come along that could help that test. Yeah, because and, absolutely there's, there's lots of different things that we can't tell with that breeding soundness exam. And, and you mentioned a couple, but even libido is one of those. We don't know how well those bulls are going to do out in the pasture. Yeah. And, and I think, I think the main point, and we've talked about different technologies on the podcast before, and, you know, the folks here on, on this podcast, you know, we spend a lot of time looking at research and studies, and, and I think there's a bigger message here, too, about it's really, it's really important, I think, to, to be able to evaluate, because it's not uncommon, you know, in ag to, to have somebody show you a, a research result or a publication or something, and beyond just, you know, what was the conclusion of that? You know, we spend a lot of time going, well, how they did that study really, really matters. You know, how you can, you can change the conclusions by how you do something. And so I, I think it's a good point for listeners to, you know, try to find ways to educate yourself on how to, how to maybe dig a little deeper and, and really evaluate how something was done beyond just what was the conclusion of it. Are you saying they call it the cutting edge of technology because sometimes it cuts both ways, right? I'll put words uh, in your mouth. Yeah, he's nodding. Sure, I'll pretend sure, he's nodding. Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, sure. <laughs> it, it, it really, stuff that comes out that's new, and sometimes you can get in early and it's great, but it, it's nice and we make a lot of our decisions based on data. And often that data is not just one study. You look at the amount of data that goes into creating some of the EPDs for these bulls, it's not if you only had info from one offspring, I probably wouldn't be very comfortable with knowing what I thought the genetic potential of that bull was. So, I, I totally agree with your point there, Brian. Is is keep learning, and we appreciate uh, having Shane be able to join us today, knowing it is a really busy time of year with all the bull sales coming up and getting ready. And the bull sale here at K State is on March fourth at four p.m. I didn't ask you, Shane. That's in person only right that is. yep yep we'll have a we'll run them through the ring and everything will be as normal as we can be excellent so if you're around close by want to come you can if you want to check out the sale catalog that's available online if you have any questions thoughts anything you'd like us to talk about on a future podcast you can always email us at bci at ksu.edu <laughs>